long time ago, meaning months ago, I, um, I knew that this past week was going to be pretty crazy for me. I, I uh, Actually, last Sunday after uh, church, my family and I hopped on the Badger and went over to Niagara Falls. And just to give you an example of how crazy the week has been, I was in the staff meeting on Wednesday afternoon after going to see the falls from Sunday to Wednesday. So we had a great time as a family, but of course with a shortened week and then the craziness of the whole week, which I knew it would be, um, I asked my good friend Scott Rowan if he would be willing to preach for me on the 26th of August. And uh, when I say my good friend, I really mean it. Scott, uh, you know, the staff here at Faith, uh, we are good friends. I am grateful for the staff that I serve with here. Outside of Faith Church, um, I would say Scott is my best friend as a colleague, as as another pastor here in the state of Wisconsin. And uh, he is really a solid man of God. He he loves the Lord. He has um, taught me a lot about what it means to be a pastor what it means to uh, work through adversity, what it means to um, understand uh, keeping your finger on the text. He always says, you got to keep, keep your finger on the text, Jeremy, keep your finger on the text. So uh, this is Scott Rowan, and uh, we're grateful that you're here, Scott, to bring the Word of God to us. I'll let you introduce yourself. Thanks, Jeremy. Uh, I've been here before, so you know a little bit about um, me and my ministry. I've been serving with the Forest Lakes District as the interim Director of Church Health for the last two years, and my interim will be completed this week, and I'll be handing it over to the new Director of, we call him Leadership Development Catalyst. His name is Brian Thorsted. I trust that you'll have an opportunity to get to know him and to um, be able to embrace his ministry. He's a really good guy. I know him from uh, serving together in uh, interim pastor ministries, and so uh, I'm looking forward to his ministry, so uh, thank you so much for the opportunity to come and speak today, and uh, I bring you greetings from our district superintendent, John Payne, and I want you to know that if there's anything we can do as a district to come alongside of you and encourage you, uh, we want to try to do that and be available to you, and it's our privilege to do that as a district. If you have your uh, Bibles, please open them with me to Psalm 27, and uh, I want to speak with you today about how the Lord God is the Lord of the fear factor. And as you are finding Psalm 27, please join with me in a word of prayer. Father in heaven, we do thank you that we can come to you as our Lord and our God, as our Father. You care about us, you care about every detail of our lives. You care about everything that each of us is experiencing in life, whether it's happy or sad, encouraging or discouraging. Lord, we thank you that we can come together and meet with you around your word. Thank you for the word of God, which is such a powerful resource in our lives. Holy Spirit, I pray that as I speak uh, from Psalm 27, that the words that you inspired would find a place in our hearts that you've given life to, and that these words would 
find fertile soil, take root and grow and produce much fruit for your honor and for your glory. Lord, if there's anything that is not from you, please protect us from it. But that which is from you, use it mightily as we seek to apply the truth of the text of God's word to each of our lives. To that end, we commit this time in Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat> I think it's not an exaggeration to suggest that we are living in a culture that is supercharged with fear and anxiety and stress and worry. Um, and in order to just remind us of that truth, if I were to ask you, now don't raise your hands, but if I were to ask you, are you struggling with a fear or an anxiety or a stress or a worry today, I bet you can name it without having to think very much about it. Because all of us are faced with stresses and anxieties and worry and fears. Those who do those statistical studies say that treating anxiety in our culture is a $42 billion industry. Whether it's pharmaceuticals or counseling or other resources that are happening, people are struggling with fear and anxiety in our culture today. Teenagers are, are faced with tremendous pressure in life, whether it be pressure to perform on the athletic field or in uh, music or dance or some other form of the arts. Or to think about the ACT test or the SAT test and getting into college and thinking about what do I want to do when I grow up and what career. They think about this in middle school. And anxiety begins to take over our kids and, and they're faced with it every day. What am I going to do and how am I going to support myself? There are people who are looking at social media and they see in the social media all the pictures of, of things that are going on in other people's lives. And they think, boy, do I really measure up to that? I mean, there's a perfect person. There's a perfect marriage. There's a perfect family. There's a guy who's perfect in his career. I'm stressed out because I'm not that perfect. You ever felt that way? And it just seems as though our culture breeds these types of fears and anxieties in life. There are many fears that plague us in life. We might know them as phobias. Some common phobias are glossophobia, which is the fear of public speaking. There's um, arachnophobia, which is the fear of spiders. There's agoraphobia, which is the fear of being out in an open space. There's acrophobia, which is the fear of heights. And then there's claustrophobia, which is the fear of being uh, cooped up in a small place. But I did some research today, and I found a couple of lesser-known phobias. One phobia that is new is nomophobia which is the fear of not being without your cell phone. <laughs> no mo, your no mo phobia, no mobile device. <laughs> well, then, then I found another one that's very interesting. Chrometophobia, which is the fear of money. Now, I thought, whoa, I, you know, let's bring it on. I mean, let's see if I can deal with, with that a little bit. 
actually what that is, is the fear of losing your money, the fear of not being able to manage your money. And so the, the money thing in our culture brings on lots of fear. And then there's ablutophobia. Ablutophobia is the opposite of germophobia. Ablutophobia is the fear of taking a bath. Uh, I really hope none of you uh, in this room, the person sitting next to you, I hope they don't <laughs> have that fear today. It might be an interesting experience sitting next to somebody with ablutophobia. But there are fears in life that are not necessarily phobias. They're just general fears, general anxieties that we face in life. The market takes a 5% tumble. Or our daughter is performing at a piano recital and mother-in-law from New York is visiting to listen. And you're hoping, boy, I hope, I hope she does well so she knows I'm a good parent. Or there's, um, um, am I raising my children right? Um, am I going to be able to care for my dependent adult parent? Um, how long can I, can I get along with, with uh, wondering if I'm going to get married? Will I find the right spouse? Um, will I be able to hold my marriage together? And, and is my mate happy with me? And you have the anxiety about marriage and every skin spot Every lump that you find in your body, your mind wanders and thinks, I wonder what that is. I wonder, I wonder if that's something that I should be concerned about. And you worry about that. Or monthly budgeting. And on and on and on it goes. Fears, anxieties can plague us in life if we let them. And so I was drawn to Psalm 27 today, which is, I think, a psalm that the King David wrote, and scholars think that he wrote this psalm while he was running from his son Absalom, who was trying to overthrow him and uh, take over the kingdom. And David was hiding out by himself and with a few of his closest followers, and I'm sure he was thinking about fear. He was wondering if he was going to survive this attempted coup. And we find in verse 1, David's response to fear. He says, The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? And the answer is, no one. <laughs> David says, I'm not going to let fear take over my life. I'm not going to be anxious about the way that my life is going. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to face this fear head on. I'm going to move forward. And David was free from fear. But such character is not reserved only for the giants of the faith. You and I can face our fears and our anxieties the same way David faced his fears. And how can we do that? Well, David modeled for us that the way to overcome fears is to replace it with something else. So you know that when you get a song in your mind, <laughs> the only way you can get rid of that song is to sing another song. I saw a cute cartoon the other day of two birds that were sitting on a telephone wire, and the caption on one bird was, chirp, and the caption on the other bird was, 
oh, great, now I'm going to have that song in my mind all day, and I'm not going to be able to get rid of it. <laughs> well, you know, when we're talking about fear, it's the same thing with a song. We overcome fear as we replace it with something else. That's the big idea that I'd like to challenge you to take with you today. When we face fear, anxiety, stress, if we dwell on that fear, if we dwell on that anxiety, if we dwell on that stress, we only give it more power in our lives. It only gets greater. But if we can replace it with something else, we can be free from that fear and live a life of peace. And in Psalm 27, David gives us four things, four resources that can replace fear. Now, they're not the only resources found in the Bible, but they're the four that we find in Psalm 27. And so I'd like to stay in Psalm 27 and talk about the four resources that David models for us on how to replace fear with other resources. And the first resource is hope, found in verses 2 and 3. Let's read them. When evildoers assail me to eat up my flesh, my adversaries and foes, it is they who stumble and fall. Though an army encamp against me, my heart shall not fear. Though war rise against me, yet I will be confident. And that's the word that tells me about hope. Hope in the Bible is not just a pie in the sky. Well, I hope this is a good day. Well, I hope this is going to happen. No, there's a certainty to our hope. Hope in the Bible is a certainty. Hope in the Bible is something that we know is going to happen. And David says, I know that God is going to be with me. I know that I have a hope in God. I know that I'm certain about my relationship with God. And there are three things that he knows certainly about God. Number one, God is his light. And he knows that that light breaks through the darkness of sin and shines its incredible power into his soul. He begins the moment we place our faith in Jesus for the forgiveness of sins and the gift of eternal life. And we know that light is going to guide us and give us um, his strength. And, and we know that we will never be without his, his guidance and fellowship. God is our light. Secondly, our hope is that God is our stronghold. God is the one we run to. God is the one who gives us healing and training. God is the one who gives us a strategy to move forward. He's like a castle in the mountains. Can you imagine a big stone castle nestled in the mountains? An impenetrable castle, a stronghold. And God is that stronghold for us. And God is our hope that he is our salvation. Now, most of the time in the book of Psalms, the word salvation refers to being rescued being delivered from some circumstance. And the Bible tells us that God is our salvation. With God as our Father, we can have assurance that he will deliver us. Now, maybe he won't take away the, the difficulty in the circumstance, but what he can do is he can deliver us from the fear that comes with that circumstance. 
because God is the one who comes alongside and gives us deliverance. And then I want you to notice something very interesting about this psalm. In verses 2 and 3, David talks about things that happened in the past. And God has been our light. God has been our stronghold. And God has been our salvation. God dealt with David in the past. And now he remembers what happened when God dealt, uh, God came alongside of him in the past. His enemies fell. He remembers the deliverance. He remembers the guidance. He remembers the fact that God met him and guided him and, and was his stronghold. And hope for victories in the future is drawn from the victories in the past. Because God guided, God delivered, God restored, and he reflected that since God was faithful in the past, he is confident that God will be faithful in the future. Psalm 42 is what I call the hope psalm. Listen to some verses in Psalm 42. As he is facing his fears, David says this, These things I remember. See, he reflected on the past. These things I remember as I pour out my soul, how I would go with the throng and lead them in procession to the house of God with glad amounts, shouts, and songs of praise, a multitude-keeping festival. He remembers the good times with God. Verse 8, And my God, my soul is cast down within me. Therefore I remember you from the land of the Jordan, of Hermon, and of Mount Mizar. Things that happened in the history of Israel as they wandered in the wilderness and God met them. And then he says in verse 11, Why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again... He remembers the past, he says, and again, just like the past, I will praise him, my salvation and my God. You see, God has been our light. He'll be our light again. God has been our salvation. He will be again. God has been our stronghold. He will be again. So when fear comes upon us in life, replace that fear with a certain confident hope of what God has been for us in the past. Second, David tells us not only to replace fear with hope, but to replace fear with worship. And that's found in verses 4 and 10, specifically verse 8. Look at verse 8. He says, You have said, Seek my face. This is an invitation from God to worship him. God takes the initiative and he reaches down to us. And he reaches down to us in our fears. And he says, worship me and all your fears will, will evaporate. In Philippians chapter 4, verses 6 and 7, he says, be anxious and fear for nothing. But in everything with prayer, petition, and thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. Pray, worship. And then what's he said? And the peace of God, which passes understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Now, this might seem like kind of a, a ritualistic thing to do. I mean, you know, worshiping God in the midst of our fears is a hard thing to do, and I recognize that. One thing that's helped me is uh, I bought a journal. 
Now, I'm not a journaler. I don't write down everything that happened in the day, and, and I don't you know, do that. That's hard for me. But I have made a conscious effort to take the discipline to write down things for which I am thankful. And three or four times a month, I'll sit down, and I'll write down, and I'll think about how God blessed me, and I'll write down, I'm thankful for my wife. I'm thankful that I was safe on the road, and I'm thankful that God delivered me from that icy patch on the highway. Or I'm thankful for how God uh, gave me strength for this particular pastoral visit. Or I thank God for the way this financial circumstance worked out in our family. I'm thankful for answered prayer for our son or our daughter. I write down, and I don't stop until I've got at least 10 things to be thankful for. And then... During the year, I'll go back to the beginning of my Thanksgiving journal, and I'll just begin to read things that I'm thankful for, and I'll realize, God, you have, you have been an awesome God to me, and I can begin to worship him through my Thanksgiving journal. Now, that's a little discipline that just helps me, that gives me strength. Uh, it's not difficult. We don't need a priest to help us. We don't have to light a candle. We don't have to read from an approved church book of prayer or approved liturgy. Worship of God is, is an immense privilege, and it's awe-informing, uh, inspiring, and it's not difficult to get our arms around in practice. Let's look at the ways that David worshipped in verses 4 to 6. One thing I've asked of the Lord that I will seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, and gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. For he will hide me in his shelter in the day of trouble. He will conceal me under the cover of his tent. He will lift me high on a rock. And now my head shall be lifted up above my enemies all around me, and I will offer in his tent sacrifices with shouts of joy. I will sing and make melody to the Lord. David was reflecting upon being in the tabernacle, the place of worship, where the, all the symbolism of God's working among us was portrayed in the, in the altar and the showbread and the incense and the candelabra and all the things that would happen. They all have meaning and purpose. And David says, oh, isn't it wonderful to be in the house of God and to think about all the wonderful ways in which he's met us? And wasn't it great to be together? Wasn't it great to come together and, and to worship together and collectively put our voices together? And wasn't that great? And oh, how I love the beauty of the Lord. And th there's no place like being with God and people reflecting on what makes us God's people. And our experiences give a child of God security from outside influences and danger and place our confidence on a rock with foundation that can never be moved. Even though the dangers of the world are all around us, when we come together and worship, we can sing like the song has said, that's why we praise him, that's why we sing, that's why we offer him our everything, that's why we bow down and worship the king. Why? Because he's given us everything. And we reflect on that together. I think it's important, though, to note the object of our search, the object of our worship. You see, sometimes when we seek the Lord, we are seeking his favor, or we're seeking his blessings, or we're seeking an answer to prayer. And that's really good. It's okay to do that. 
But I don't think that's what the psalmist is meaning here. This expression is more than that. This expression turns us to a heartfelt search for God himself. So I have two thoughts for you to think about. One is, do we want God or just his blessings? <laughs> do we want God himself or do we just want what God can give me? And one way to think about that is to ask another question. If God was not in heaven, would you still want to go? Or do I just want to go to heaven so I can be in paradise? But do we want to go to heaven so we can be with God? Remember Jesus said, I'm coming to take, a, take you to a place I prepared so that where I am, you can be also. Isn't that what we want? Don't we want to be in the presence of God? Don't we want to experience God? Don't we want him to overwhelm us in his presence? See, when, we, when our prayers are with the purpose of seeking his face, seeking his presence, prayer becomes so much more than a Christmas list. I think of a little child, a little boy whose father is in the military and serving somewhere overseas for a long time. He can't wait until his daddy comes home. And finally his daddy comes home and he rushes to his daddy. He doesn't grab a hold of his leg he runs up to his dad with his arms up so his dad picks him up. And then you know what he does? He grabs his father's face. Ever seen the picture of that? He wants to feel his daddy's whiskers. He wants to feel his nose and his eyebrows and run his hands through his... He wants his daddy's presence. He wants to know that he's with his daddy. And when David says, I've been instructed to seek your face... That's what worship is, to seek the face of God, to experience his presence, to be in his presence, that divine presence, that intimate conversation encountered. Listen to a string of verses in the book of Psalms that talk about this. As the deer pants for streams of water, so my soul pants for you. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When can I go and meet with God? Seeking his face. You, God, are my God. Earnestly I seek you. I thirst for you. My whole being longs for you. In a dry and parched land where there is no water, I long for your face. Whom have I in heaven but you? And on earth there is nothing I desire besides you. Wow, what a statement. There is nothing on earth that I desire except you. Boy, that's a challenge to me. Can I really say there's nothing on earth I desire except God's presence? Seek his face. And finally, I spread out my hands to you. I thirst for you like a parched land. This is the heart of worship. In times of fear and difficulty and pain and even sorrow and loss, we don't ignore our emotions. Of course, we grieve. We hurt. We cry out to God for deliverance from these things. But what really gives us relief is when we replace those fears and anxieties with worship. Where we come to God and we lift our hands, maybe not literally, but it's fun to do it literally. 
And you say, God, I just want your face. I just want to see you. I want to feel you. I want, I want you to meet me. I want you to touch my heart. God will not hide his face from us. He will not turn us away. He will not cast us off. He will not forsake us. Verse 10, no matter what the circumstance, the Lord will take us in. So David can say in verse 6, and now my head shall be lifted up above my enemies all around me, and I will offer in his tent sacrifices with shouts of joy. I will sing and make melody to the Lord. Replace fear with hope. Replace fear with worship. And third, replace fear with truth. Look at verse 11. Teach me your way, O Lord, and lead me on a level path. Thy word is a lamp unto my feet, a light unto my path. You see, God's word is that sure guide, that sure truth. It's that way that God has given us to follow after him. I would suggest that God's word is a calm that characterizes our lives, that makes the mountains lower, makes the valleys higher, a little bit more every day because of the pursuit of God's truth. What David is praying for here is wisdom that comes from consistency, steadfastness, perseverance in the study of God's word. If you're not in a study group of God's word, get in God's word with a group of believers and, and dive into God's word and study God's word together. God wants us to grow like an oak tree. He wants us to nurture, be nurtured like a deep ocean. And that comes as we grapple with the truth of God's word. And these things come from leaning on God, not listening to the lies of those who are against us, not listening to the fears. We replace that fear with the truth of God's word. I would suggest to find some way to get a, a survey of the whole Bible. Do you know the Bible storyline? You know what the Bible says from Genesis to Revelation? You know how the Bible fits together? Figure out how the Bible, it, it's one story. It's one story. The Old Testament is not the Jewish Bible. The Old Testament is the Christian Bible. Get that, get that firmly planted. The Old Testament is the Christian scriptures. So often we say it's the Jewish scriptures. It's not. It's the Christian scriptures. It speaks about Jesus and it fills in the whole storyline that goes from creation and fall and redemption to the cross and the resurrection and then the restoration and then the, uh, the, the recreation of the new heaven and the new earth. It's all one story. Find that storyline and get into God's word and understand how it all fits together so, so Leviticus has a meaning and a purpose. It's not just a, a book that's boring. There's, it's a wonderful riches because it speaks of the cross and it speaks of the substitutionary atonement on the cross. It all fits together. Find that perspective. Study the Bible with others. And then, and then arm yourself with some key promises from the Word of God. So that when fear comes on, you have something to, to combat it with and replace it with. One that I love is, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will not fear, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. How can they be afraid 
when you're meditating on that verse. You see, you've got to replace fear with truth. And when you replace fear with truth, we can be delivered from fear. And I want to say something about verse 11. Uh, this, this could be a whole series of sermons. But verse 11 tells us that God's way is the way of suffering. What is your way? Well, as you look in the Bible, God's way always includes suffering. That's God's way. Some people have said that God will not give you more than you can handle. You know that's not true, did you? God always gives you more than you can handle. So that we turn to him for his strength. And then in Christ, I can do all things. You see, that's God's way. That's the truth. And when we understand the truth, when suffering comes, we understand that in suffering, there can be a purpose. In suffering, there could be something that I can learn and grow from. In suffering, there is character. And that truth helps us to replace fear and anxiety with the truth that God is at work here and that he's doing something in my life. Replace fear with hope. Replace fear with worship. Replace fear with truth. Finally, replace fear with trust. Look at verse 14. Wait for the Lord. Don't you hate that word, wait? <laughs> I hate that word, wait. <laughs> I mean, I want it now. I don't want to wait for something to happen. But you see, this word, wait, is not the same word as we might think about sitting in a train station waiting for the train to come in or standing in line at Walmart waiting my turn at the cash register, or waiting for grass seed to grow as you planted it in your lawn. Waiting is waiting on the Lord. It's trust. Waiting on the Lord is trusting in God. It means relying on God. It means steadfast trust in the Lord. I think Isaiah chapter 40 says it right. But those who wait for the Lord will renew their strength. They will mount up with wings like eagles. They will run and not be weary. They will walk and not be faint. When we trust in God, when we wait on God, we don't sit. We soar. We run. We walk. We do something. You see, trust is, is something that, that we, we initiate. It's something that we do. It means that we move forward. But remember, trust is not the first thing we do. Trust is not the first thing we do. Psalm 24, or 27, 14 says... Be strong as you do something. Be st have courage as you do something. Well, what do we do? Trust as you hope. Trust as you worship. Trust as you seek the truth. Trust as you wait and then step out in faith and do something can't tell you how many times I've embarked on a pastoral assignment with fear. 
One that comes to mind was a telephone call I got at 2 o'clock in the morning. And pastors, uh, that's, that's never a good thing. <laughs> and on the other line was an aunt who told me that her nephew was just killed in a car accident. Would I please come to the hospital? <laughs> you want to talk about fear. What, what was I going to find? What was I going to walk into? What, was I going to find a hysterical mother? Was I going to find... what? I had no idea what I was going to walk into. I was kind of scared. So on the way to the hospital, it was about a 20-minute drive because it was out of town at another hospital. I began to, to think about how God had helped me in the past. I began to think about other pastoral assignments where he was faithful and he was my light and my salvation, my stronghold. And then I, I prayed and I thanked God and I worshiped God in the car on the way down. And then I reflected upon God's word. And I reflected upon how he promised to be with me and to, to care for me. Isaiah 41.10 is one of my go-to verses. It says, fear not, for I am with you. Do not be dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. And I said, God, if I ever need your strength and if I ever need your right hand, that's now I'm scared. What am I going to find when I get there? But I went through. I moved forward. I did what I knew God called me to do. I replaced fear with trust. About two and a half hours later, I started driving home and I just thought, God, why did I doubt you? <laughs> why was I afraid? Well, because I'm human, right? <laughs> but God came through. And see, that's what the Apostle Paul says when he went to his, his team and he said, tell Archippus, one of the members of his team, he says, see to it that you complete the ministry you've received in the Lord. Trust, and then move forward. Trust, and get her done. <laughs> you didn't know that Larry the Cable Guy was a theologian, did you? This is exactly what the scriptures say. As you trust, move forward. But it's not the first thing you do. You trust knowing that the truth is with you, that you're worshiping God, and that you have a certain hope of his love for you. You know, there will always be times when we have to face our fears. Life's challenges will never go away as we walk the face of this earth. When we finally meet the love of our life and get married, that's not the end. <laughs> that's the beginning. When our children leave home, they're still our kids. I see parents with more anxiety over their adult children than I do when they're living at home. When we complete college, boy, there's a lot of stress about what am I going to do now. When we retire, do I have enough money? Is my money going to run out? What am I going to do with myself? But one day, all the stresses will be gone. And I love verse 13. It says, one day when we all pass through that door known as death, and if we know the Lord as our Savior and Lord, we will leave the land of the dying and enter the land of the living. Don't you love that?
You'll see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. You see, that's what heaven is. It's the land of the living. And that's our ultimate destiny. So may I ask you, what fears are you facing this morning? My challenge to you is don't allow that fear to take you captive. Replace your fears. Replace your fears with hope. Replace your fears with worship. Replace your fears with truth. Replace your fears with trust. Father in heaven, I don't know what people that are listening to me today are facing. Um, I wouldn't be surprised if most all of us are facing something that's causing anxiety and fear. I pray that you would give us the discipline to replace those fears with, with something that you've given to us because we know you. And Lord, I pray that these disciplines would be something that we work at and grapple with and get better at every day, knowing that, that you will do even more than we would ever ask or think according to that power that is at work within us. And so, Lord, our desire is for you to be honored and glorified in everything we do in our lives as we replace our fears and anxieties with the truth of who you are. In Jesus' name. Amen.